0: You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Amy Quick, a business development executive and co-founder at Five on Friday, about prospecting to Fortune 100 executives. I don't know if you ever get intimidated you know, talking to someone, especially when you're prospecting, but... It usually happens to me every time I go to do it. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be, you know, talking to a sales manager about his or her team and what they're experiencing and, and just kind of gathering, you know, some info on what's going on from a prospecting standpoint, or it could be a VP of sales or a VP of marketing. One thing that always goes through my head is, oh, you know, this person's really busy. Why would they want to hear from me, et cetera? And I tend to not really treat this prospect as a person you know, a person that has a life outside of their job, probably, you know, has a family, has a sense of humor, enjoys talking to people that are interesting. And I think that that really makes our job hard, you know, as salespeople, when we're prospecting, is if we don't think of our prospects, just as people like us. And one of the things that we're going to dig into today with Amy Quick, who I'm super excited for you to listen to our interview, because she really talks about her approach and Not only humanizing the prospects, but really humanizing herself so that when she goes to reach out, they see her as a person, not a salesperson. And if you're listening to the show for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm your host. And in Blissful Prospecting, my goal is to help you think outside the script when you're prospecting and help you use proven tactics and strategies to set more meetings with your ideal clients. And that's exactly what we're going to talk to Amy quick about today. And Amy, I mean, you have to check her out on social. There's a link there in the show notes for you to do that. But she just crushes it on LinkedIn. And she crushes it as a sales rep as well. And what we're going to dig into today is how she prospects to Fortune 100 executives. She has a process for finding out, you know, how is this person going to affect the decision and what sort of influence they have. And she's got a whole structure around how to talk to people and get them to help you when you're prospecting. And the other thing that she's going to share is, As well as really how to show prospects you're interesting and valuable to talk with. I like to say, you know, how to show someone that you're a good hang, that if they spend 15 to 30 minutes of their time with you, they're at least going to enjoy the conversation, regardless of if your product or service is a good fit. She's got some really, really awesome, really cool tactics around how to do that that I think you're really going to enjoy. But before we get to the interview, one quick thing is we have a membership community called Think Outside the Script. And what you're going to get into in that and what people are really digging in is one, a community of people that are into prospecting and, and really upping their game from a prospecting standpoint that you can connect and network with. But two, there's some really great content and courses in there for you to get help on your prospecting and to see what other reps like Amy are doing in their prospecting. So I recommend checking that out. There's a link in the show notes. You can go to community.blissfulprospecting.com. Right now, at the time of recording this, it's 10 bucks a month. So it's super accessible right now. Check it out, sign up for a free trial, and you can see if it's something that you would like to continue investing your time and money and energy and all that good stuff into. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So, one of the things that I pointed out when we started talking was that uh, we'd actually never met before, which was really funny. But I feel like I know who you are because I see your stuff on social so much. And uh, that might be a good place to start. Um, are you a social media user outside of LinkedIn? Do you use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, no. TikTok? I don't know what, what people are using these days.
1: Not really. I mean, I used to be on Facebook quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably only use it to post pictures of my kids now, um, honestly. And, um, my husband's all over Facebook though. He's like got, he's just got dad humor down pat, like dad and Navy humor. But, um, honestly, I decided to invest a lot of my time on LinkedIn specifically. And, um, I just found that I was kind of more drawn to the content. I was learning a lot. And, um, most of the things that were interesting to me, I I was, I was finding that on LinkedIn. So, um, I was on Twitter for a while and it got kind of political and I was like, "Eh." yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I, I pulled away from that a little bit, but, um, actually a lot. I've hardly been on there. Um, and then TikTok is like the new thing, right? So yeah. my, my daughter's trying to drag me on TikTok. And uh, and with five on Friday, we're going to be on everything. So soon enough, like we'll be kind of all the cogs in the wheel, so to speak, we'll be there and we'll be all over social media. So I'm kind of excited to learn about it through that process.
0: Oh, cool. So if we take it back a little bit, like earlier in your career, Were you always sort of like the way I would describe what I see you post on social, it's like it's a combination of things, but it looks like a part of it is kind of documenting your journey Mm -hmm. in sales, your journey as a parent, like all that kind of stuff. Like if we take it back at the beginning of your career, were you doing it then?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Um, I was. I think it was like back then it was like MySpace and and even in life. Yeah. What was the
0: song on your profile?
1: Oh my gosh. I think it was probably something. It was either Braveheart, like the movie soundtrack, (laughs) the score from it. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Like totally nerdy. That's kind of nerdy, It was either that or like Pantera or something. Because I was like really into like heavy metal back then.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. It was like I went to a heavy metal concert like every weekend for – All through high school, it was one of those weird things. Um, So, yeah, I think it was Braveheart, though. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was.
0: So, so you you were in the habit. It sounds like of using social and kind of documenting your kind of stuff. So, how did you end up getting into sales then? Because I, if you if you look at your resume, it's like, oh wow, like and and most of the people I talk to, by the way, I don't know about your experience. They get into sales on accident. But I'm curious. You started. It looks like at a credit union. Mm-hmm. customer service, like how did you end up transitioning into sales and getting into sales?
1: So when I was at the credit union, occasionally we would have to like upsell products and stuff on the teller line and, you know, member accounting, we were always trying to sell, you know, CDs and certificates and money marketing accounts. And I mean, it was part of your job was to provide the service, but also to try to get a little bit more money from, mm-hmm. you know, the members eventually or uh, that's really the premise behind it. Um, so I, I kind of dabbled with that a little bit. It was kind of a little personal challenge for me when I was at the credit union. Um, but when I moved on and, and, and I was, at, I started at the credit union when I was in high school. Um, I worked in the records department in during the summer. Oh, wow. um, my mom also worked at the credit union for like 15 years. So, um, when I moved on and was in customer service at Ferguson enterprises, I, uh, I just, I loved it. Um, I was fielding phone calls though, from sales reps, from all of the Ferguson branches and the sales reps that worked in those branches. And so all day long, I was putting out fires and dealing with problem resolution and finding, you know, where their product was and talking to vendors and everything. And it was specifically working, Right side by side with sales reps, and um, they were hilarious, man. They cracked me up all the time. They were super spirited. I mean, some of them were kind of hot-headed and rude, and you know, for for me as kind of a young young girl at the time, I was like, this is, um, you know, these were kind of like rock stars, you know, like. <laughs> Ballsy and bold, and they fit into they the heavy metal see, thing, no. right? Yeah, like I was like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, like yeah. Um, starting mosh pits on the floor on the <laughs> So, but I, I, I loved it because I was able to take these really strong personalities on these phone calls and really quickly win their confidence, and as a result, I was able to you know take care of all the problems and and make sure that they were um, they were comfortable and confident with the outcome every single time they spoke to me. And, uh, I did that with actually a local sales rep and she actually, her job was selling to the corporate employees at Ferguson. So all the, the C levels and the directors that were remodeling their million dollar homes, like she was the one selling them products to do all of their home renovations. And she actually went to my manager and said, you know, look, I, uh, I really think Amy needs to be in sales. Like she's just, she's got the personality for it. Like she would, she would just be amazing at it. And if given the opportunity, you know, would you support that career move? And my manager called me in the office and said, look, I had this conversation. Um, they're they're going to post this job and I would really encourage you to apply for it and consider going into sales. And I was kind of, I just kind of sat there in shock because at that point I hadn't even like really considered it. Um, but the minute, the minute the cat was out of the bag, I was like, okay, yeah, this sounds like something that would suit my personality really well. And I've been talking to sales reps for four years on the phone and I've kind of learned a lot through that experience. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. So I just went, I mean, I would just went in blind. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to do a mix of like showroom sales. So people actually walking in from the public, like shopping and looking for faucets and lighting and all of this. And um, and then I also worked directly with the directors and C-Levels on their building projects. And it was kind of a trial by fire a lot of times, but I mean, I got bitten by the bug pretty bad and uh, I loved it. So, and from there it was like, my, the, kind of the way my career progressed is I ended up going to CMA CGM and I I kind of I started out in customer service there as well and just kind of rose through the ranks to get back into the sales team because their sales team was, I mean, there was a minimum requirement for a bachelor's degree to get into that department. They had to waive that requirement for me to get a job on the team. So, wow,
0: for a sales role? Mm hmm. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even have a college degree. I don't have a college dropout.
1: <laughs> neither, neither do I. They, <laughs> they removed the I was actually I think I brought this up on. I can't remember. Maybe James Bodden's lunch break podcast or yeah. something. But um, they actually uh, went to HR and said, we need you to remove the requirement for a bachelor's degree um, and HR. Agreed removed the requirement posted the job. They told me we posted this job apply for it I applied for it and then the next job that they posted and that came out the bachelor's degree requirement was back on there so they literally changed it so I could get on the team and um I don't know. Maybe that was a little bit of ego driving it, but I was like, yeah I'm gonna crush it in sales. I don't know. It was kind of, it was in- it was interesting
0: Did you I the- have Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was,
1: you're fine. Cut me off. I'll just keep going.
0: (laughs) Did you have any, was there a learning curve? Were you you selling business to consumer stuff in your first sales role? And was there a learning curve? Oh, you were selling both.
1: Actually, well, actually, yeah, because we were selling to contractors and stuff too. So Ferguson was really interesting because it was B2C and Mm. it was also B2B because we were selling to big contractors. Um, so and it was also uh, corporate sales too. So I was selling to employees of the company as well. So I did a little bit of everything there, and then CMA was all B two B.
0: Interesting. What dear, what are the biggest similarities or differences that you've seen? Because I, I did something similar where I spent the first seven years of my sales career selling business to consumer house painting services, you know, and contracting right. services, and then switched into into B two B. I've never. Been an, a B2B rep.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: so I learned how to do it for myself and my business. But I'm so I'm curious, like what what are the biggest differences that um, you've seen between the two?
1: Well, I think for B2C, the one thing that I noticed is that you had to identify if the people coming in the door were um, were really gonna buy something or if they were just browsing. I mean, that was like the first thing yeah. you had to identify. Cause if you push too hard on them, then they would. You know, they would just jet like they're like, "I'm out of here." Mm -hmm. Um, So you really had to take your time to kind of qualify them and understand what their intentions were in the store. And if I knew that their intentions were they're just browsing and things like that, I might come back and ask them like, you know, have you do, do you need any help looking for something? And I mean, I was just it was it was one of those situations where I would try to figure out like what, what they wanted to look for and at least give them some value, like point them to some products that they can consider or find out kind of what their budget was for the future project. And I would, I would phrase things with B2C customers in a way that was uh, intentionally kind of giving them an out. Right. And to keep them comfortable to let them know, like, hey, it's okay. I'm not trying to sell anything to you. Um, but I would try to find out a little bit more about their project and their budget. And then I could at least guide them and say, hey, look, um, you know, they have like you can find this kind of stuff at it Lowe's or our competitors as well, but this is the kind of the section that you probably want to focus on. I think you're gonna find like really quality products for your price point and uh and and then I would just let it go. Right. So with B2C, I feel like you've gotta you've gotta be intentional with how you give them value. Not too pushy, and really understand like the where they're at in the buying window. Um, because if you don't nail those things, then you just come across really pushy, and people just they just shut down. They'll be like, "No, I'm not interested." Yeah, I'm just looking, you know, and they'll blow you off. So personality right up front for B2C is huge. Getting people to understand, hey, you can be comfortable with me. I'm not going to try to force something on you, and then. <laughs> And then you just kind of slowly build that trust enough, like through their experience and walking around the showroom and checking in with them. Maybe bringing them coffee, whatever it may be. They finally get to that point where they're like, "Let me ask her a question. Let me, let me, let me talk to her about this. Let me get her opinion on something." And that, and then you can really start engaging and understanding a little bit more about why they're there, what they're looking for, their budget. B two B is totally different. B two B, I feel like. One you got to try to get on their radar right because there's so many people trying to get on a buyer's radar um, and then you have to be really intentional with where you're leading them or where you're guiding them in a sale um, so you have to show them the value up front and you have to really you have to talk to them about the problems that you'll solve more and you could do that on the b 2 c side first but I think you you kind of have to build a little bit of trust and personality and 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 comfort there first before you st- immediately start saying I'm going to solve all your problems for you, um, and and B2B is much different. I think it's it's like you get straight to the hey I can solve X Y and Z for you much sooner in the sales yeah. process. That's just been my experience, though. I mean, what about you? What do you, what do you think?
0: Well, I very much agree with you in terms of. I, there seems to be more of a. Stigma with salespeople on the B2C side. You know, when I was selling, you know, residential, you know, house painting, construction, you know, that that kind of stuff, it was so, so important to just be like you're saying, very nice, like very helpful, like that sort of thing, and just like not be a sleazy salesperson. I don't really right. think about that much in B2B. I'm like, people already kind of understand like what a buyer's journey is for the most mm-hmm. part, and there is an actual buyer's journey on the B2B side. And then the other thing. That I love about B two B sales is data. I can build an account list. I can get people's contact information. And a B two C, you got to get really like much more creative with that if you want to prospect. So I, I prefer B two B personally.
1: It's easier. It is easier. I mean, I my hats off to people that are in B two C sales. Yeah. Um, I think that if you can cut your teeth in B B2, two B two C sales, the sky is the limit in B two B. The transition is so much. Easier, um, and and that really comes down to selling style, um, because people are so inherently distrusting of anyone that's trying to force feed them something, um, right? And that's why like car dealerships got such a bad rep because it would be like everyone's on this person and they're trying to, you know, sell them the fancy car inside, and you know, and it was just a hot mess. And now you go to dealerships and like the last car I bought, like the guy was like, Hey, look, you know what? Like, um, we were kind of juggling between a Ford and a Toyota. Right. And I was like, I don't know, you know? And he finally said, look, go test drive the Ford, like go to the Ford dealership, go do your due diligence there, go take the car for a test drive. Cause you're going to regret it if you don't. And if, if you don't like that ex- experience as much as the one that you had here, then give me a call, come back, and and we'll, we'll get a deal worked out. And I was like, I like that. I respect the hell out of that guy that he was able to yeah. say, look, hey, I'm confident enough in the value that I showed you to let you go and explore the world for yourself and then make your own decision. I wasn't forced into anything. And I think the way that we used to sell um a lot like 10 years ago even was much more force feeding, you know, like
0: assume the sale. Right? right. That's what people said all the time. And and it's uh oh God. I could go on people and on see and on right on. through it. You said something though that stuck out to you said selling style. How would you describe your prospecting style?
1: <laughs> okay. So my prospecting style, I'm very intentional. Um mm. so every tool that I have at my disposal I'm using. So we have um Pardot, which is looking at, you know, what, how much website activity there is, what links are they clicking on? What white papers are they downloading? What videos are they watching? And how long are they watching them? Are they watching 6% of them? Are they watching, you know, almost all the way to the end? Um, It shows me every time they click on a form. I mean, it's really, really cool. And so Uh, And then, of course, their PARDOT score is driven higher and higher the more activity there is. So once their score gets to a certain point, they go SQL, right? And then I'm like, all right, it's time to do business. Um, But what's really cool about that is you can start to map out and paint the picture of what that person is interested in and also what's motivating them. Like there are some people that will just go, they'll attend every single webinar we have. Okay. And I'm like, there's no way this person is in charge of all of these different areas of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just, there's, there's no way. Usually they're, they have like a a one specific focus. And so either one, that guy's wearing 20 different hats, or two, he's only interested in education, Um, or there's some personal motivated motivation for him to sign up for all these webinars. Either way, now I have a reason to call him. And I call him and I, I approach it from the standpoint of, Hey, you know, you like, you must be a big fan. Like, let's talk about it. Like, why do you, you know, why, why are you watching all the webinars? Like what, what's your motivation behind that? And, um, would love your feedback, you know, anything we can do different. I, I really kind of drive those conversations with people like that from a standpoint of, Hey, I'm just trying to learn more about, about you. And if there's maybe some additional resources I can pull out of my hat that you would appreciate. Um, What are you,
0: uh, real quick, uh what are you, what are you trying to figure out when you call that person? Cause this is, uh, I don't know if you, do you call these inbound leads? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Uh, Well, mm, no, it's more
0: outbound. I mean, there's like some really good intent data. And I think there's this misconception that those are inbound leads because they signed up for a webinar. Like they never asked for you guys to call them. No. So like, what are you thinking like what's your mindset? You said like I'm trying to learn about them, but what are you trying to accomplish when you when you call someone like that? What are you trying to figure out?
1: My first, my first call is intel, right? Mm-hmm. I want to find out are they just des- the decision maker? What pains are they having? What's motivating them to look at all of our content? Because a lot of times it could just be education um it could be this guy or it could be that they're trying to find a new job and they're they're trying to you know get themselves ramped up so that they can nail the next interview i mean who knows my job is to find out why they are looking at our stuff and i i do that in a way that i just I don't beat around the bush. Like, Hey, you know, we can see that people are attending webinars. There's nothing creepy about that. It's kind of a common understanding that you go to a webinar and we're going to see that you went to the webinar. Yeah. Um, and I approach it from a standpoint of, hey, can you give us feedback? You know, I see you show up to a lot of stuff. Like, you know, is there something that you're, is there a project that you guys are working yeah. on in turn? Ter- and sometimes depending on the person, I just come right out and ask them like, Hey, look, are you guys exploring options for ZOS, you know, performance analytics? Like, Are you currently looking to modernize your current process or is this more, you know, and I'll, I'll guide them in the direction of giving me the answer I need to know, is there a deal potential here? Um, And if they can give me that on, on like the first or second call I have with them, then I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit further until I get to the point where I'm like, okay, it's, it's time to actually book this meeting. This is a qualified um, lead and, and these guys are in a, in a buying in a prime buying position, um, so for prospecting, I look at all of those things, and I also look at so that's all marketing, right? So if you have yep. a really cool little tool like Pardot that's phenomenal for a sales rep because I'm looking at all of that stuff and qualifying them before they're even sales qualified. I'll look down our part, you know, reports and see who's doing what. And I'll see these names popping up over and over again. And I can dismiss people and be like, now that dude's just, I've spoken with him before. He's just interested in education, but these guys are really interesting. Um, then there's my outbound prospecting that I do. Can we where, pause
0: there real quick? And yeah, so I'm gonna yeah. cut you off a bunch of times hope that's okay with you're, you. you. you're cool because uh, i'm uh, I'm very curious. so um you you brought up this word intentional, so I can already tell you're very intentional because you're thinking about what do I want to accomplish in this call? like what do I want from this person? and you already know what the benefits and stuff are for the prospect, but I think that's I just want to point that I think it's really important for anyone listening like to really think about like what do I want and how does it intersect with what a prospect wants? and it's like, Connecting those two things, right? Yes. Um, Yeah. How do you figure out if someone's a decision maker? What does that sound like?
1: Okay. Well, first thing you're looking at is title. If they've got senior in a role, they're probably at least if you're selling like a technical solution or software, if they are in, if they are a senior analyst or senior someone in a role, it is likely that they are a technical decision maker. Or if they're like you know a senior HR person or something like that, Mm -hmm. it's likely that they are going to inform. The, the buying process, right? They'll be able to tell their boss, hey, we should look at this. Yeah. Okay? And these
0: are, uh, we talked about this prior to hitting record, but these are primarily, these are pretty big companies.
1: Yeah. That you guys are working with, right? Right. And usually, I mean, depending on the company, with the, with the decision maker, what I like to find out up front because this takes the, the pressure off of their shoulders is one, are they some sort of decision maker that can keep the chain moving? Right. Um, and if so, are they motivated to help be sell internally? Um, so like kind of like the challenger sale mentality, like where are they? Are they a blocker? Are they just a talker? Are they a champion that's going to go in and get their boss on a call with me? Um, how do you,
0: how do you, like, how do you pick this up during the conversation? I I'm just sure maybe it's a lot ton. of it's instinctive for,
1: <laughs> yeah, instinctual for I, you, but
0: how, yeah, how do you figure this out in the conversation What so, are you listening for?
1: Emotional intelligence is huge in sales, right? The psychology behind why we do the things that we do and our intrinsic motivations. So what I try to do is figure out what kind of pain is this person in. And if if they're in a lot of pain, are they willing to do something about it? And you can you can hear that in their responses. You know, yeah, you know, we've talked to I've tried to get products before and you know, they said no, we never have budget and we never, you know, you can find out really quickly, okay, this guy has He's been burned in the past. He's tried to get them help in the past and it's gone nowhere. So he's probably not going to be as willing to work with me on trying to move this deal because he's, he's hit walls before and that's frustrating for him. So I can either figure out a way to motivate him to get him on my team so he's willing to do that or I can go around him and I can go to his boss and say, look, your people, you're in pain. Your people are in pain. Here's how we can solve that pain. And that works really effectively at the enterprise level in some of these bigger companies because these guys are, you know, they have to get time on their manager's windows or calendars, right? Mm -hmm. They have to get their attention a lot of times. They have to find five or ten minutes to actually get to sit down with their manager and say, hey, uh, there's this vendor I've been talking to and I want you to buy their product. It will help me with my job. I mean, can you imagine like walking in your boss's office and throwing down I need you to spend $500,000 to buy the solution, sir. They're not sales reps. (laughs) They're just employees. They don't know how to like manipulate and work the sales cycle. That's your job. So to find, so when you're having these conversations with people, you need to figure out like how, how willing are they to go to bat for you? And if they're not willing to go to bat for you, how do you work around that? Do you either bring them on board and they work with you? Like they say, talk to this guy, this guy, and this guy. And then you're like, okay, cool. You go chill over here in the corner. I'm going to go do my job over here. And then you get them to feed you more intel. Like, are they looking at other vendors? Who, you know, who am I working against? What am I working against? Like, what's the internal dynamics of the organization? Like, does this guy like this guy? Yeah. You know, I mean, How there's do you, so uh, many.
0: Um, let's, if, you, if you're willing to share just a couple of examples of, like you said, if I have to go over this person's head, what might that sound like? Like if you were talking to me and you figured out that I, I'm not the person to talk to because I'm not willing to help. Right. Like what kind of, would you tell me that you were going to go above my head? So you would just say that. And then you wouldn't ask for permission. Like, yeah. What does that sound like? Cause this is something that a lot of people deal with.
1: Yeah. So there's two ways to look at it. Um, one, uh, if I feel like they're exhausted by the sales process or have been in the past, like they've gone to bat before and they've swung and they've missed or they've gotten burned or they've hit walls and that's frustrating for them. So they've tried to fix the problem. They've gotten shot down and they take it personal, right? It's a personal thing. And so it doesn't matter if you're a new sales rep with a better product, they don't care because they're frustrated and they're kind of just complacent. So when you have people like that, a lot of times they are very willing to shift responsibility and to give you, and I use terms like, Hey, look, I don't expect you to do all the legwork. I'm the sales rep. My job is to sell. My job is to get your managers on board and get their buy-in so that we can move this deal and get ultimately, you know, partner together. I was like, that's, that's why I'm here. Right. And the minute you relieve them of the burden of feeling like they have to do all of the selling internally, they're like, okay, let's do this. This is who we need to talk to. These are the issues. Um, These are, these are the, the speed bumps we're going to have. Is there anything that would, you know, would would slow this deal down or stop this deal dead in its tracks? You can start percolating all that information with this person and just kind of putting together a really good business plan before you go try to sell it to his boss. Um, and and then you've got him on your team too. Because I mean, yeah, a lot of times they'll support it at that point that you're the one that initiated the conversation or that they're the one that initiated the conversation and they kind of led you in that direction. Because if you show up and you're prepared and you know their business and you know their pains and you know how you can help solve them, they'll talk to you. Yeah. Um,
0: Do you find that be- this bottoms up approach works pretty well for... Sometimes. For- okay.
1: Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's better to work from the top down and you kind of got to figure that dynamic out. If it's a resistant organization where these guys have tried to get, like the, the ones in the trenches have tried to get help and have tried to el- el- elicit change and they've gotten burned a lot in the process or they've even done crappy deals with vendors and so they've lost some pull, you know? Like, I mean, the, people are buying solutions all the time that suck. Yeah, and they put them on the shelf, right? Yeah. There's like, no one uses them. I mean, there's it's just lack of adoption. And, then the, and they spend millions of dollars sometimes on these solutions and then they go nowhere. So those guys stuck their neck out to get a product in that's now not returning on its investment. And <laughs> it's going to be really hard to get someone like that to turn around and go to bat for another product. Um, so in situations like that, going from a top-down approach is going to work really, really well because, you know, these people are, are have been burned so bad. They're not even going to respond to your email or your phone call or anything like that because they're pissed off. They've gotten screwed over before and that made them look bad. So if you go to their boss's boss's boss and initiate there, it'll, it'll, the deal will be much smoother. Um, because you're talking to a totally different set of people at that point yeah. with different motivations. Um, so going over someone's head, so to speak, either works when they support it and they're willing to give you intel to guide that process or you, you don't tell them, right? Like if they've gone dark on you or, or, or silent on you and you know, okay, at that point, like they're not, if they're not even responding to my emails or taking my calls, they're not going to drive this deal. That's on me. Um, and so at that point, I'm like, you've given me permission to go over your head and to start prospecting your boss and to prospect your boss's boss. And while I'm at it, I'm just going to go ahead and prospect the VP of, you know, it infrastructure for the entire organization. Why not? What, what can you lose at that point? You know? Yeah. So that's the kind of way I look at it. Yeah,
0: I freaking love this. Uh, One thing that sticks out to me a lot is there's so much empathy in your approach. Like you're talking constantly about, they feel this way because they've been burned and like, you're really understanding of like why, things are happening what people are feeling but let's step back we got like super in the in the weeds there which is great and you mentioned these are kind of the inboundish you know kind of yeah. leads they're showing a little bit of intent like what is how do you approach people that either in that situation where you have to go to that VP where this VP does no clue who you are or that their people are even looking at your staff or someone that you go after completely cold what's the uh, what's the approach? um, typically for doing something like that for you, where do you, where do you get started? What are you thinking?
1: Yeah. So I've actually really, really developed a strong approach on this in the last year because I was kind of given the job of reuniting a lot of stalled deals, um, that we had in our pipeline. That's that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. And, but the problem was, again, it was one of those situations where, um, the guys that we were initially talking to were too low. Were they weren't decision makers, they loved the concept and the product, but they weren't willing to drive it. And you know, so the people that I was actually uh, prospecting were their boss's boss's boss, and they had no clue who in the world we were, what we did, they don't know the past history. And so, in those situations, I find that you know, definitely doing a combo prospecting approach is really really strong. So, you've got to do a mixture of your emails, some of them are. Slightly humorous. I mean, I'll send like comic strips, and just keep it really kind of light and loose and fun. Um, and then I do a mixture of value, like, hey, we've got these upcoming webinars. You know, I figured you might want to forward this onto your team. Uh, done. I mean, in every one, there's a little ask, right? There's a there's that ask there. Um, How do you find interest- the
0: balance with humor and like what? Can you give us an example of what that might sound like? Because I'm I'm thinking. Okay, these are Fortune 100, Fortune 500 VPs. These are extremely yeah. busy, probably very short, very serious people, but they're human beings, right? Yeah. they have a sense of humor, yeah. I would assume. Um, but that seems very counterintuitive. What What's the thinking behind the humor, and like, what is what is an example of something like that? What does it sound like, look like?
1: Yeah. So this is this is a fun one for me. Um I recently watched Lisa Palmer, okay? And if you guys aren't connected with her, you should be. Lisa Palmer. Um she's a former CIO and CMO that is now basically a go-to market sales expert. She left that world, the the C-level world to be a sales rep. And I was listening to her on a podcast, The Brutal Truth pro- podcast recently, and I was like <gasps> oh my gosh, that's me. Like, that's what I, like, she was describing how you sell to leadership and executives and C-levels specifically, what their motivations are, the, like, what they're encountering on a day-to-day basis. And she really gets, like, um, deep with it. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting and in when I'm trying to prospect these higher ups, right? And I I'm sending, I'm doing all the right things, right? I'm sending them value, I'm telling them what how we can help solve their problems. I'm telling them about conversations we've had with their team in the past and you know, we know that we can help them with X, Y and Z. I'm doing all the right things and I see they're clicking on my emails, they're opening them. Maybe viewing a link occasionally and then nothing. And for me, that's like, that's like, oh man, you just did it. Like, you shouldn't have opened my email. You shouldn't have clicked on that link. Cause I know you got my email and you're not responding to me. And at that point, I'm like, I'm gonna show them a different side to my personality. Something that maybe will break down the wall enough that'll at least get them to respond to me. And if I can get them to respond, I can get from these guys, I'm going to get a clear answer because they don't have time to mess around. So they're either going to tell you, yeah, you're wasting your time. Um, you don't need to blow smoke up my ass or they're going to be like, okay, let's have a, you know, let's, let's meet, let's talk. Um, and so I find that once you've kind of gone, you've played the safe route, And you've done your due diligence, you know, you're communicating everything that you should be communicating to them. For whatever reason, they're not biting. Um, I start to look at what are the underlying motivations, right? Why aren't they meeting with me? Is it because they're just too busy? Is it because they're buying another product? Is it because there's no pain? You know, they just don't think there's enough of a problem to solve. Um, And I'll start throwing those things into emails. Like, I know I'm asking for time when you probably don't have any on your schedule. I'll start to warm them up a little bit in that regard. And then I hit them with humor. Um, I'll send an email that's just absurd. Like, um, for Thanksgiving, I just sent a Thanksgiving meme email. It was just full of memes. And I sent it to the leaderships. (laughs) all these organizations. And I got back like hilarious responses. Like that was really funny, like great email. And, you know, because they're, like you said, they're human too. And I am, and I don't think I should hide my personality just because I'm trying to sell them a a solution to a problem, you know? And, um, and yeah, sure. I'm going to make money off this deal, but it's going to help them in their jobs look like rock stars. So there's a little bit of a, like a, Power dynamic there, too, um, so with one executive, I'd been prospecting him for six months straight, and I sent him a Dilbert's comic strip in an email and it was basically the Dilbert's comic strip was saying it doesn't matter about the customers, like we just need to like ship more units and sell more stuff and Dilbert's like, yeah, but you know like like shouldn't what the customers need matter? And I sent this email to him, and I said, "Look, some some salespeople are all about what you can do for them, but I care about your objectives. Let's have a call." And so I sent him the email, and that's the one that he responded to finally. Wow! Out of, <laughs> it was it was incredible, and it because it showed him a little bit of humility and humor, and and the fact that okay, she's whatever, she's persistent as hell, she's funny maybe I'd actually enjoy a conversation with this person. Let me see what she has to say. And yeah, that's 15 minutes, 15 minutes on a call.
0: That's super cool. The the thing that you said there was, that's kind of an interesting take on it is thinking about how are you showing that having a conversation with you would be interesting because a lot of the very successful, much more successful people than me that I get to interact with, have the (laughs) fortune to interact with. Sometimes they're extremely busy, but really what I notice is they just like talking to me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't have to impress this person. Cause I always think like, Oh, I got to impress them. And like all this other stuff, it's like, no, they just want to talk to someone that's like fun and interesting to talk to. And I don't know, for some reason, I never even actually thought of that from a prospecting standpoint. I think I do some of that intuitively, but thinking about how do I show this person that I'm just like a cool person, basically like someone that's like cool, like a good hang, you know, kind of thing.
1: Like, can they, can they laugh with you? Uh, That's a measure to me of what I think of someone. Like if I can laugh with them and be comfortable around them, then that's a, that's golden. And if you can get your customers and your prospects to the point where they feel comfortable enough with you to not only jump on a call with you and talk business, but also to, to laugh and enjoy the experience, that's huge because then the, the, like transparency is, is there and they're going to tell you, they're going to be honest about roadblocks. And, you know, uh, one of my big deals, um, I mean, gosh, everyone was dealing with this with COVID-19, but one of my big deals that should have been fairly insulated from COVID-19 issue, um, they called me and, um, they are like, look, we're, we still want to move forward, but we've got a three month budget freeze. That's been Initiated. So we can't actually really get the go after the budget until August now. But we still want to move forward with X, Y, and Z and blah blah blah. And for me, that was huge because I didn't have to ask them to tell me that. They they initiated, they got on a they booked a phone call with me and said, Hey, We want you to know we're still motivated to buy. We still want to get this deal done. It's just going to take a little bit longer because of this. And for me, when you get to that point with your prospects and your customers, that they will come to you and you don't have to try to seek out this information. That's when you've won because then they trust you to be honest and that all comes from getting to know you as a person like they respect you as a business person they trust you to do business with you so there has to be a measure of seriousness i mean i joke like i'm the most non serious you know like serious business person
0: yeah it's on your um, linkedin headline. right
1: <laughs> but that's true because i know yeah. how to i know how to be funny me and funny and be myself and show my personality and then i know when to pull that back and to talk business and then when i do that they're like damn, you know, and I'm guessing okay. this
0: doesn't relate with every prospect, which is okay.
1: Yeah. Like everyone's you know, going to be them, into
0: your humor and your personality and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you get a, you get a sense real quick, um, who, because you can try humor and it, it can fail. And that is also an opportunity for you to understand their, their motivations. If they are in a situation where they can't even laugh with you, gosh, like what's happening? Why are they in a situation where they're spun so, they're they're, they're just wound so tight that they can't even laugh at a funny email. You know, either Mm -hmm. they're just brutally busy, they're just buried with work, you're you're interrupting them, like they're super, or they're hyper-focused, or they're just kind of an introvert, and maybe you need to take a softer approach. But even failure should inform your decision on how to move forward. I mean, as long as they're not just telling you Screw off um then you can continue working that prospect until you figure out what's the right mix of ingredients that's going to connect with that person, so you kind of have to be like a sales chameleon in a way, like yeah okay, maybe I won't I mean who knows it could be like a you're talking you're cutting up and maybe you joke about having beers on a Friday night, and the person is a recovering alcoholic I mean you just don't know, and when you so when you figure these things out, you have to adapt and you have to you have to overcome that and kind of modify how you are as a person in your approach. And I think that's why social like selling is, or social engagement or what what you want, whatever you want to call it is such a big deal because it does give them a window into you as a person. And yeah, that might put some people off. You're right. But the, for the vast majority, it's going to, they're going to get to see who you are, um, in a serious way and a non-serious way. And that's so important for building trust in a, from a relational standpoint. For, for me, th- it is.
0: Yeah. How did you think about what you post on LinkedIn? Because what you're saying, so much of your approach, it just seems about humanizing the prospect and like looking at them as a person. But it also seems like there's this element of, I'm humanizing myself too and and making it I'm showing my personality and it definitely, like if anyone is connected with you on LinkedIn, they definitely know who Amy is. Right. At least, uh, at least whatever you're willing to divulge publicly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what's the I thinking behind back. that content um, <laughs> and like posting? Cause there's some stuff that has no business context at yeah. all from, from what yeah. it looks like.
1: Yeah. So I was um, hesitant to post more personal, like, like the stuff with, with my horses and my kids and things. I was hesitant at first to, to, To post that. But when you really think about it, that informs who I am as a person. I mean, my family is a part of me. The fact that I'm a professional horse trainer and an equestrian, that was a massive, I mean, that has always been a massive part of my life. And I've learned a lot of valuable lessons from that, that I bring into my, into the business world and into conversations with people. When I start talking about, oh yeah, I'm trying to, you know, go to an NRHA show this year. They're like, what's that? And then we, you know, so all of this bleeds into connection, communication, conversation. Um, And I feel like as a, as a society, and this is one of the things that I really loved about LinkedIn is I felt like for a long time, people lost the ability to to have conversations. You know, it doesn't have to be all business all the time. Um, when you're taking, I'll, I'll give you a prime example of this. My husband is also in sales. And um, I was asking him one day about a dinner that he, he takes his customers out all the time. And I'm like, you know, what do you do? Like, do you just sit there? Like, and talk business the whole time or you know how do you approach like a dinner you know or lunch and he's like mm, I talk about business as little as possible like we talk about everything else everything else and then it naturally leads into business and at that point everyone is so comfortable and so chill with each other that talking honestly and openly about the business side of it is is easy it's so easy and then and then it Informs your whole process, right? Um, I mean, he's on text basis with like CISOs and you know guys that he's done business with or not done business with. They they text him for barbecue tips and crap like that because he he took the time to just build that relationship and that have those conversations and business was like a small portion of that. Um, and I think if more of us did that and we we didn't we weren't so, so serious about the selling side and the business. And, you know, one, our anxiety would be a lot lower. Our stress levels would drop. And as a result, we'd be more forthcoming, more open, more unguarded, um, with our personalities like, um, Matthew Wells and the basic dad stuff. Do you see his stuff like every Wednesday? Yep. I mean, that guy's a professional sales rep. And then you see him do these videos and it's like, gosh, I really like that guy. You know, like what a good dude. And if any of his prospects see that, they're going to be like, a cool dude. Like, I like that. You know, even if they don't have kids, like they're still going to appreciate, like that's, that's funny, you know? And I I think if more of us mixed and humor and having that fun kind of not being afraid to like share a little bit more about yourself personally and, um, and, and the serious stuff too. I think that we would have a lot more success in the conversational side of sales, which is going to inform and build the relationship. And when that's rock solid, the deals just progress so much easier. And even when they don't, it's like no love lost you still got industry connections for life um so i don't know that's the way i look at it is if i can give you a little bit of a window into my soul and kind of who i am as a person uh it it may or may not make you more willing to do business with me but i'm willing to put my my bet on more willing
0: god that's such a big point because i i used to do this and i got away from it and my wife sarah pointed it out but i had stuff on my linkedin about that was like personal at the end, like what I'm into. And she's like, that's not there anywhere. There isn't really anything there that you talk about. So, and I was like, oh, and it was this. this is like last weekend. I was like, oh yeah, you're totally right. So I added in there, you know, Hey, like UFC, like, you know, really big into classic rock, love Van Halen, Def Lepp, you know, like that kind of stuff. And the calls that I've done this week, people have talked about that stuff. You know what I mean? Your prospects look at that stuff. They see that. And if they And if they don't mention it, that doesn't mean they didn't see it either. But a lot of them, if they are, you know, if they do have something in common, they'll mention it. And I'm thinking about our client relationships too. And the best ones have been where I'm like, this is just a rad person, right? Like, this is just a cool person (laughs) that I would talk to outside of this. And really what's so refreshing about your approach and like what I'm getting from this conversation is this just rapport. It's the most basic fundamental part of selling that nothing against challenger sale. But I think a lot of people are taking challenger sale and thinking, I value, value, value. I got to challenge perspective and share and educate and teach and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. And it's like, I call bullshit on people doing business with people they don't like.
1: I call bullshit. I'm not
0: going to buy something from you I don't care how valuable it is. If you do yeah. something to piss me off and I don't like you, I'm not going to buy from you, dude. I might buy from your company. I might say, hey, I'd re- I yeah. want to talk to someone else. And I have an example of that actually from a company I won't mention, but I'm like, I fucking hated the rep because she didn't take my time seriously. Like, rescheduled yeah. a bunch of like, uh, like, oh, God. Like, just I'll work with someone else at your company, you yeah. know? So
1: the same I, thing happened to me uh, with, I won't name the company either. And they- <laughs> <laughs> They'll know who they are too, because yeah. they actually, it wasn't me. Like the rep pissed my VP off. Like he was a total oh, goofbag God. to my VP, like bad, like laughing emojis. And like, Oh, it was bad. It was really bad. And, um, I just happened to be talking to another rep and we didn't realize that Like there was another like sales rep already prospecting into our account and I was like all on board and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to talk to my VP. We're going to get this done. And then I went to my VP and he's like, no, we're not buying from them. Like read this email. And I was like, and so I called the sales rep and I was like, listen, man, um, here's the story. This dude was a total douchebag. Like I saw the emails, like, I cannot believe a sales rep was talking to a prospect that way. Yeah. I like I don't know. Take this for what you know for what it's worth. I don't know if you want to escalate this or what. I was like, I will tell you this: we will buy from you because I think you're a decent dude. And he was so torn because they wouldn't give him the account. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, I don't think it. I don't think a deal's gonna get done, man. (laughs) Something tells me a deal's not getting done if that guy's still in the picture. But that's. That's it right there. In a nutshell, you get these cocky people that feel like, yeah, I'm going to go crush it. And I'm just going to like, I'm going to force feed this until they just give in and buy. Mm -hmm. And that is the worst thing you can do as a sales rep. The best thing you can do is to say, you know what? I don't think we're a good fit. Like, I mean, I don't know that I can help you. Like, so let's just part friends and be industry connections and maybe we network and, you know, if something changes, like you, I'll be the first one you call. Um, there's that component of it. There's also the component of, you know, just giving them the opportunity to tell you no and, and they know that that's all right. You know, at the end of the day, you're not going to begrudge them. You're not going to turn into this just crazy idiot. And because people find it really hard to say no, um, especially like anyone that suffers with codependency um yeah. they'll they'll tell you yes or they'll book time with you or they'll give you a, the next call or the next step just because they're afraid to tell you no but at the end of the day that deal's not getting done because you know whatever internal flare-ups or whatever it could be no budget you yeah. know so i feel like um in the sales world we need to do a better job of humanizing it and it doesn't mean it has to be all like therapy session Right there, it's okay to talk business and to ask real questions like, Do you guys have the budget for this this year? Or do we need to go find budget? Or do I need to build a business case for you to go find budget? Or um, is it going to come down to return on investment? You know, are you only going to buy if we can save you X amount of money? You know, in three years, um, asking those questions, asking them, When do you think this deal will get done? Gosh, no one asked that question anymore. What, yeah. what is the timeline that, that you want to complete this project within? If you've got, if you've taken the time to do the groundwork, to, to let people in and to establish that relationship and that trust in you as a sales rep that you, you know what you're representing, then you They'll give you those answers, and you can go to your boss and say "The deal is probably slated to close in q three It's a hundred k opportunity um I've got x, y, and z decision makers on board with their buy in. We have to go after budget, we need to do this, and they want this, this, and this included in the business plan, and you lay that all out and say, "This is what we need to get the deal done. Um, my goodness, your sales managers will be like, "I love you <laughs> because yeah. that right there." Is what's gonna set you apart as a good sales rep is getting to the point where you're comfortable enough to know I can be fun, I can be myself, I can enjoy this relationship a little bit and get to know my customer. But at the end of the day, I can still ask those tough questions and get honest answers. And, you know, and just it's just gonna set you apart. So,
0: dude, I, I could talk to you for another hour about this, but I, I, I wanna be mindful of your time. Yeah. This is awesome. You're, you're a rock star, Amy. I appreciate Thank you coming you. on. Um, God, I, I'm I'm excited to listen back to this one. There's a lot of like really nuanced things that I'm excited to dig through. But uh, before you take off, your um, let us know where to connect with you. I know uh, you got this five on Friday thing. Like, mm-hmm. tell us where to connect with you. Where you want people to go check your stuff out.
1: Yeah. So you can go to five on Friday and register to be a a part of that. Um, that's a peer to peer sales and marketing mentor group. And we meet every Friday. We have a presenter come on and do like a demo or cold call pitch, or even to, to kind of talk about like how they, they restructure their startup and their sales process. Right. Um, and we sit down for an hour on a, on a zoom and, um, usually there's, you know, for solid sales execs or people with kind of a variety of experience in the industry and uh, just there to give advice and feedback and encouragement. Uh, it's, it's, has been phenomenal. And so that's at five on Friday. Um, and then you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I uh, am usually pretty responsive to messages. Sometimes it gets a little squirrely. Um, but yeah, I'm on uh, LinkedIn at Amy quick. Um, and come find me there. Let's have a talk.
0: That was a really fun interview. I took a ton of notes. I don't know about you, but one of the things that she said that really stuck out to me is this, you know, can't they laugh with you? You know, if you can get your customers and your prospects to the point where they feel comfortable enough to not only jump on a call with you, but to laugh and enjoy the experience, that's huge. So what are you doing to really humanize yourself and show that you're a good hang, as I like to say, before you take off, appreciate you tuning in. If you could leave a quick review on iTunes, if you enjoyed this, it would really help to get some more exposure for the show so we can continue getting on great guests like Amy. And you can do that on iTunes, search for Blissful Prospecting, or go to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes, leave a quick review, let me know what you think, and I appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.